Hello, MacGuffin listeners. I wanted to record this intro to let everyone know that our review of Creed 3 does not include any information about the recent allegations of domestic abuse by actor Jonathan Majors because it was recorded before those allegations were known. Obviously, we do not support that kind of behavior from even the best of actors, and we, like everyone else, are waiting for more details about the case to emerge. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy the episode and take that into account when we begin to talk about both Creed Three and Jonathan Major's performance in it. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, a movie review podcast that dreams are made of. You are Keith Foster from San Diego, California. And you are Cassidy Robinson, recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. And today we're going to be reviewing Creed 3. And for the streaming homework, we'll be reviewing the 1989 action film roadhouse yes we will that that one will be fun (laughs) um yeah i'm excited to talk about it we have a few fun things scheduled uh for the episode as well but uh i wanted to start because we we did miss a week um so it's, it's a little bit in the rear view so we don't we don't have to make a meal of this or anything but the oscars did happen oh yeah I had originally planned to do like a full segment on it, but there's really not that much to talk about. Everything, everywhere, all at once, won everything, everywhere. All at once. Um, No, they actually spaced it out over several hours. Well, several months if you count all of the different ceremonies and uh, award season leading up to it. Sure, yeah. It was exciting. Like, you know, both of us picked that as our number one movie of last year. And I don't know. It just it seems uh, fairly rare that I generally agree with the Academy on most of their like major award decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought they were going to spread some stuff out. You know, I mean, you can listen to our full breakdown of uh, Oscar predictions. But, you know, we both thought that they would. Typically, the Academy kind of spreads stuff out, so, like, one movie doesn't sweep all the major awards like this did, but, um, but yeah, this this did, so. Yeah, and even one thing that I didn't think it would win, like, uh, the Daniels winning Best Director, I think we both sort of wrote that off. Yeah, I, I forgot, I thought of all of them, that was, like, their least likely win, so... When the Daniels won, I was like, oh, they're not going to win Best Picture then. Um, and then they, they still did. So, yeah, it was, I don't know. It was 
like I said, a rare year when I wasn't just like, what the fuck, Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, they went the right direction with giving best animated feature to Pinocchio. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, to be specific. <laughs> yes. And wouldn't it have been funny if they just like pulled out like a secret ballot and they gave it to that Russian Pinocchio with Polly Shore? <laughs> I mean, I would have to see it at that point. I would, I would have to know. <laughs> if it showed up on a streaming service, it might have actually, but I, I might watch it just for the lulls. I, I don't know if I could get through the whole thing because it looks pretty, yeah, bad. But um, but yeah, it it'd be fun to watch at least you know a little bit of it out of context, probably. Yeah, it looks like the second biggest winner of the night was All Quiet on the Western Front, which won a, a few more things than I thought it would have. I think they gave it to uh, them for cinematography. And best score, uh, it might have been, yeah, they gave it to them for the international feature as well, because it's technically a German film. Yeah. So that one was a big surprise to me. I mean, I, I didn't see it, so I didn't really factor that into my calculations all that much. Uh, but I thought, given that it's the, like, third adaptation of the of it... That it, how much juice could be left in there, but apparently yeah. a lot. Um, and I think the biggest surprise for me is I was just expecting a bigger showing for Steven Spielberg and the Fablemans, not necessarily because it was undeniably you know this great achievement or or whatever. I liked it, you know, a decent amount, but um, I just thought it felt like it would be a sort of easy cushion for the Academy to fall on whenever they didn't want to give something to everything everywhere. But instead they, they went the gutsier route and really just showered them with little gold statues. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice. Um, Brendan Fraser won for the whale. Uh, other than that, there really was no big surprises. Um, RRR won for best song, which good for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't get to see their performance of it because I was mostly watching things via, you know, clips as they were being posted yeah. on Twitter. Um, so I need to look up uh, some of those acceptance speeches and I, I, I did want to see uh, their musical performance that they did at, it was, the, at the show. It was pretty fun. Um, yeah. I'm sure it, it was. <laughs> it's funny to me, like the Oscars are so behind the times in every regards. Like, they make their ceremony, like, as unwatchable as possible in the streaming age, you know, in, unless you want to sp- whatever fucking amount to basically just have cable. Right. Like, it, it's, they are, and then they, you know, then they complain about ratings and viewership dropping, and it's like, bro, just put it on one streaming app, that everybody has, and people will watch it. Put it on fucking Hulu, you know, which... It's just so stupid. But anyway, I guess I have to rant about something about the Oscars. They just they make it so 
frustratingly difficult to just watch. Like, I just want to pull it up on my Xbox or whatever. Right. They would get so many more casual viewers. Increasingly more and more people our age and younger are unplugging from, you know, traditional cables. So any kind of live broadcasting is getting harder to watch. There are a lot of people who still will watch live broadcasts of sports, but even sports networks have sort of figured this out and figured out like ways of selling packages, you know, season packages to people who don't want to get dish or whatever. Like, honestly, if they just did like a, even something on YouTube or whatever, that was just like a viewing on demand, you know, pay, Six bucks just to watch the Oscars. Like, I would do that because I don't want ABC or CBS or whatever. Like, I don't need it all the time. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, I just want the option to just watch this one thing. All right. Uh, Well, let's go to your segment. You actually set up the segment for this episode. And I figured since we're talking about... Uh, Creed 3, a boxing movie, and we're talking about Roadhouse, this like rough and tumble action ish drama. This is a dude heavy uh, episode, so go ahead and, and pitch us. I thought it would be fun to do, um, uh, we, we've done sort of draft style movie selection, you know, in the past, and I thought it would be fun to do a, a draft of the best movie goons. Uh, so hint, your henchmen, your thugs, your uh, nameless meat for the main hero to fight through. Um, yeah, so we're, we're just going to go uh, round by round and list off, uh, you know, draft our favorite movie goons. Okay, now I was not prepared for this to be a draft, so that means... If you're saying draft and I say one, then the other person doesn't get to have it, correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I said draft in the in the text. That's okay. I have extras, so we should be prepared. But yeah, a lot of mine are a little outside the box, so I'd be surprised if you took them. But I guess it's not impossible. I've got some... Some very classic goonery on my list, but I also have some obscure stuff that I I feel like I can pull uh, that it, that I don't think you'll necessarily draw from. Okay, well, do you want me to go first then? Yeah, you can go first. Okay, I'm gonna take this so you don't, because this is my most classic goon setup, and that is the Crazy Eighty Eight from Kill Bill Volume One. Fuck you, yes. The Crazy 88 are such good movie goons. Uh, They're perfect goons. Like, they, you know, they all roll out. They have kind of the same uniform. Uh, There's a, you know, there's sort of a couple hero goons. um, that They are a little bit better. But yeah, they are perfect movie goons. A few minor bosses. You got uh, Gogo Yugari, who's who's Mm -hmm. a badass. You have... uh, I don't. I don't remember. I think he has a name, but I don't remember the the main uh, bald goon. Yeah, the like the the bald guy, the like re- ringleader of of them. Yeah, the actor also 
plays in volume two as the the white lotus guy uh, oh yeah yeah that's my only one that i'm that i thought could end up on both of our lists uh there's a okay all right i, I don't know you might be underestimating uh my goonery here yeah, this is a little bit more your territory. You were playing on your home turf, so I'll I'll let you go next. What what do you have for me? Mine's even a little more recent uh, because I I think it's interesting how the art of the movie goon has kind of died. It you know it used to be a big thing in like the eighties and the nineties back when you had like all these you know action star vehicles where you just want to see Jean-Claude Van Damme kicking a bunch of people around. So it, I thought it was a little harder to find more modern examples of, of good goonery. Um, but I think possibly the best modern goons of all time are all the goons from Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, okay. Yeah, I almost, I, I did think about this one as well. So we're talking about the the Chrome Gang or whatever. Yeah, the the um, yeah the. They have did a they name. have a name? I I think so, I but I can't remember. But yeah, they 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 would spray paint their mouths uh, chrome and and want to their chance to die in glory for their warlord Immortan Joe. Yeah. Um, you have the uh, the Doof Warrior. Yep. Our listeners might know him just as the flaming guitar guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also have like the um, the like really big muscle dude. Um, I can't. <laughs> I don't know if he had a name or not. Um, but again, you- just a lot of good goons in that movie, and each gang kind of had their own different goons. You know, because there was like the bullet farmers, and their mm-hmm. goons were a little different, and. Again, you know, it's kind of a tradition carried down by the the Mad Max uh, cinematic universe. Um, Right. uh, Both Road Warrior and Thunderdome. uh, Nice tradition of good movie goons. Yeah, uh, totally respectable. Uh, I did think about them, but I decided to leave it off in favor of other things. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, for my next choice... My least traditional, I'm stretching the terminology of the goon. You may contend with this. I don't know. Probably won't. I'm I'm pretty flexible when it comes to, to movie goon definitions, but uh, I'm, I'm curious where you're going with this. I'm going with the Cenobites from Hellraiser. Oh. And... Specifically, the first three Hellraisers have the best Cenobites, in my opinion. Yeah. They kind of get generic after a while, but part three is the one where you have the guy with CDs in his face because it was 1991 or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah, I I don't know. I don't normally think of of horror movies (laughs) as having goons, um, but... I think in this case, I'll allow it because you got, you know, you've got your ringleader, you've got Pinhead. Yes. And then the other Cenobites are always just kind of like chasing the the lead characters. They might get one or two kills or whatever. Um, 
But, you know, we all know that the real threat is Pinhead. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, the rest of them are there to aid Pinhead in his plans. So they're uh, there. Their, their plans. I think Pinhead is uh, beyond uh, gender. <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're given names outside of the context of the movies. Uh, you know, like in the Todd McFarlane toys or whatever, you have the Chatterer and they, you know, they've been dubbed names by the fan base. But in the movies, the only one who's at least the first three or so, the only one who's actually given a name is Pinhead. The rest of them are just kind of there. And that's why every movie they they change over. Yeah, I th- I think they to me they satisfy what I think of as a movie goon, which is just sort of like, you know, the 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 background threats that aren't aren't really going to do much to contribute to the story. Mm. They're just kind of there to to chase the main characters. Uh Right. So yeah, I think I I think it works. <sighs> okay, where do I go with this? Do I want to go classic? Do I want to go um, say go with your heart because I don't think you're gonna get my last one, but um, I, you know, there's I could be surprised. Okay, uh, for my next one, I'll go with a kind of an, another kind of uh, modern example. Uh, I'll go with the agents from the Matrix. Oh, sure, yeah. I think uh, they did. They were really good. I think the Matrix is. I mean, we've talked a lot about the Matrix. It's getting up there with um, uh, Batman and Jaws as far as the amount of times we've referenced it. I remember in the first one, you know, the agents were so scary. Um, yeah. But other than Agent Smith, you know, none of them really have names. They're just kind of all look the same, but they're always menacing. Yeah. So I I don't know I think again they have this kind of iconic look. Um, anyone can become a goon, so that's kind of a fun uh, a twist. Anyone who's still plugged into the Matrix can become one. Uh, and I think they're just you know right. they're elevated goons. Like it's again especially in the first one they have sort of this status. Like if you get in a fight with an agent, you're going to die. And I think that's pretty cool for for a movie goon. Cool and necessary, because if they were just, you know, uh, a sentient program of guys who can do the same stuff as the heroes, but they all look the same and have one directive, they would be kind of boring. Yeah, exactly. Actually. But because we know... That they can't really be killed. I mean, you can kill the physical body, but they can always sort of jump into mm-hmm. anybody else at any given time. And that they are uh, way more proficient at uh, breaking or bending the rules of the Matrix than any one person, you know, sans the one yeah. Neo. Um is capable of like learning in a lifetime, then yeah, I mean, it just, uh, it cr- 
make something that should be really boring and sort of action movie, cheap looking, really threatening and uh, tension building in any particular yeah. scene. And it also makes, um, oh, uh, what's the actor's name? The main one, Smith. Oh, Hugo Weaving. Yeah. Yeah, it makes Hugo Weaving's performance all that much more impressive because he has to break through the uniformity of that design and mm. present as something unique even amongst them. Yeah, totally. All right, cool. Um, my last goons, the baseball furies in the Warriors. Okay, I now I haven't seen the Warriors, um, but it seems like a goon rich movie. I mean, that's basically the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, there isn't like a main baseball fury. I mean, I guess there kind of is. Like each gang has something of a hierarchy, but it's not so much about, um, you know, getting through one group to get to one guy. There's, there is like an overarching villain, mm -hmm. but for the most part, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, essentially like a uh, streets of rage video game or whatever, where <laughs> you, you end up at one point and you have to get through to the other side of the city and you have to fight your way through these different turfs. And each turf has a different set of gangs and they're all kind of colorful and weird and neo-modern. Um, and in this case, sort of like neo retro, because now the movie is however many years old. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it inspired uh, a lot of uh, future Halloween costumes, <laughs> and uh, I would say their look, the kind of painted faces, and 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 everything has inspired you know characters from video games, like I mentioned, like especially those side scrollers in the of the early days like double dragon and and streets of rage and a lot of stuff from japan um that was kind of like like basically their idea of like gang ridden infested america was based on <laughs> walter hero movies from this era <laughs> um yeah. as well as also i think sort of inspiring a lot of like comic book stuff like i think you could definitely see where Somebody like Frank Miller took huge inspiration from sure, yeah, the baseball furies and the looks of the city and and the the style of gangs and goons that would then inform something like the Dark Knight, uh, the Dark Knight Rises or not Dark Knight Rises, Dark Knight Returns, the comic book, yeah, which then informed the rest of. Uh, DC, Batman, Urban Decay, etc. The, the Warriors, they're kind of the, the goon prototype, aren't they? Like In one sense, yes. I mean, there are things that predate the Warriors that the Warriors were taking it from. Sure. I think you could look at something like, you know, DC Comics and Batman and, and whatever, 
that came before the Warriors that then informed the sort of comic bookiness of what Walter Hill was doing. And then that sort of reinformed or reinvigorated a different look for comic books going future. Um, and then there, you know, there were lots of exploitation movies and like canon films and things like that, and and uh, black exploitation movies that all kind of had things sure, like yeah. that. But the but I think the Warriors like distilled it sort of perfectly in this singular stylistic vision. Uh, all right. Uh, for my last pick, um, I have so many here. It it feels a shame not to mention so many of these. Um, uh, but I've got to go classic. I've got to go with what I think is, is the best action movie goons. And that's Die Hard. Uh, um, Hans Landa, uh, Hans, (laughs) Hans Landa. Um, that's a different movie. Um, Hans Gruber and his, you know, gang of, of, sophisticated bank robbers posed as terrorists uh Mm -hmm. they all have you know these sort of individualistic qualities um but most of them they have a little bit more character than just nameless goons some of them are pretty much nameless but um but you've got a lot of goon variation within you've got the sort of uh you know, lead goon with Carl. Um, you've got the techie goon, the, the, you know, the guy who like breaks into the vault individually. We know that John McClane is going to come out on top of, of most of these goons, but you know, they have to be threatening enough and, and put enough obstacles in his way to keep the movie going. Uh, and I just, I think they are sort of the eighties action movie goons perfected. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I probably considered that at one point, too. Again, I sort of was trying to think of things you wouldn't think of. Um, oh, I have plenty on my list here that I, I could have gone through had, had you gone that way. I just felt like, you know, a good movie list, we have to mention Die Hard. Yeah, I would agree. So I only have a couple here that didn't come up on my list. So I'll just rattle those off. But um, very similarly to Die Hard, uh, you have the gang from RoboCop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, And you have a lot Uh, of... uh, 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 Boddicker. uh, Yeah. Played by um, the dad from that 70s show. (laughs) Yes. Um, And... and Oh, they all have like distinct personalities. You know, you have the one guy who was like melted in a in a big vat of uh, nuclear waste, and then you have the the one black guy who like laughs like a hyena. Um, <laughs> and you know, there's a few others in there too. It's sort of that revenge movie sort of thing. Like the crow took a lot from this, I think. Yeah, of of uh, totally. kind of creating these faces and these personalities that you would remember that he can kind of go through one through one. Yeah. Um, I I like that. I like when the goon has a little bit more weight, you know, like, like it's instead of just a gang of 50 people or whatever, I like it when there's like eight or nine goons that 
or, or, you know, even less, like five goons that all have sort of recognizable faces and, and distinct personalities. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. Um, as far as Batman goons go, I think the best is the Red Triangle Circus from Batman Returns. Not only because oh, interesting. that's, uh, you know, up there as one of my favorite Batman movies, but also a ton of personality. Um, Elfman gives them their own score, you know, their own uh, theme in the movie. So every time they show up, it plays like this crazy circus music. You know, you have the lady with the poodle. You have the big strong man. You have the the fat clowns. You have... Uh, the really scary looking stilt man with the skull face. And so just a good array of crazy looking. Yeah, that's true. Uh, they're, they're gothic circus stuff. They're a little more specific than the Joker goons from the first one. Um, I, I mean, I think, you yeah. know, Batman goons, like I kind of mentioned, is sort of a, a genre of its own. It's it's its own category. Um, you know, and I think that's something where the Batman movies usually deliver fairly well is some fun, uh, some fun goonery up and up and including, uh, the most recent, you know, installment with the Batman. I really liked their take on sort of the, the Reddit 4chan, uh, Riddler goons. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, of, of all of those, and you know, you could even say like the Joker and uh, from from the Dark Knight as well. Um, but of all of those, I think the Red Triangle is the coolest, and, and he actually gives them a backstory. The whole idea of like the yeah. circus is burning down, and and the Penguin like basically caused a mutiny, and they all ran off with him as their cult leader. Well, so, I, I think there's a little bit of of it's less obvious, right? Like the the circus theme would make more sense for like the joker mm-hmm. um and and so i th- i do like that aspect of it it's like it's not you know these sort of mafia guys in bird costumes or whatever it's mm-hmm. it's you know well we'll go the freak show route and and draw this connection that's definitely there it makes sense but it's a little less obvious and i i think that's maybe why they stand out to you a little bit more. Yeah. And then finally on my list, maybe the prototype goon and prototype for a lot of things, both in action movies and horror movies. We have the flying monkeys and the, the winkies from the wizard of Oz. Oh, <laughs> that's a good poll. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really think about that, but they are totally, they are the they are the blueprint for movie goons, mm. and uh, the winged monkeys like terrified an entire generation of of children. Uh, my father in law sure. was terrified of them uh, when he first saw it, and everybody likes to to give him shit about it. But like you know, if you think about it, your kid you haven't seen a lot of movies. Like they are kind of scary. Yeah, and and the costuming and the makeup is still pretty effective. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, I just I have a bunch here, so I I just want to rattle off a couple uh, honorable mentions. Um, 
most recently, I watched Violent Night over the holiday season. There's some good, uh, some good classic sort of 80s style action goon in that movie. Um, uh, but, you know, I think a lot of the sort of franchise movies we grew up with had good goons like the Foot Clan from Ninja Turtles, mm-hmm. uh, the the Nazis and the um, uh, sort of uh, what were they? The thuggy cult from uh, the Indiana Jones franchise are always good. Um, uh, yeah. So, I yeah, I, I think. um uh, Keanu typically has a lot of good guns too. Like, I think, you know, the gang from Point Break, uh, is really good. Uh, again, there's smaller goons, smaller number of goons, but very specific. Um, and, uh, mostly recently, I think the John Wick franchise, uh, ha- always delivers a lot of fun, you know, like mini boss assassins. So those are just a few uh extra goons all right well there you go and uh, i know we have a uh john wick movie coming up so this is kind of prescient yeah i hope uh i hope they've got some you know i'm sure with a three-hour runtime they have to have some uh some good you know fights and that that always comes down to the goons all right, let's move on now to the review of the week, and that is Creed Three, uh, starring Michael B. Jordan, also directed by Michael yeah. B. Jordan. I think it's his uh, directorial debut. And uh, we have the screenplay to credit from uh, Keegan Kugler, with story credits to Ryan Kugler, and co-written by Zach Balin. Uh, Sylvester Stallone is credited for creating the characters, of course, because he wrote the original Rocky movies, or a couple of them. But he does not show up in this. This is the first Rocky franchise movie with no Rocky. Yeah, and I did think it was a little odd that there wasn't even, like, kind of a... Like, not even, like, a passing reference or anything like i i don't know i thought that was a little strange um because he is a you know he's a big character in the first two creed movies even though he's not the main boxer he sort of takes up the you know the mickey trainer role right right and we'll get into that with the actual review itself um because i kind of read up on that because part of me while we were watching it's like did he die in the last one? <laughs> I was like trying yeah, to remember. Yeah, I, I had, um, ju- I hadn't seen any Creed movies, um, but the uh, this one looked very exciting to me, um, and so we marathoned the first two, and um, so I did know that he didn't die in the second one, but I, I did think that was yeah, a little unusual. So in this one, uh. Adonis Creed, as played by Michael B. Jordan, um, last we left off, he had become the heavyweight champion. Uh, where we leave now is because due to injuries and aging and the fact that he's just, you know, between him winning all of these titles and his wife, played by Tessa Thompson and Bianca Creed, uh, being a popular recording artist, they don't 
really need to do this anymore. He doesn't need to keep putting himself through through all of this uh, physical labor. So he's kind of living the high life. He's he's uh, taking a backseat. He's now training people in his in his gym. Uh, there's a new title weight champ, a younger guy, Felix Chavez. Yeah, I I think he's a real fighter, which. I think it's kind of funny. You can always tell in these movies who the real fighters are because Michael B. Jordan is like carved out of marble, but the guys he's fighting, like you know, are definitely buff, but they're not. They're not toned the like the movie star tone, right? Yeah, sort of his his uh, apprentice in the world of boxing, and out of the blue, he hears from an uh, an old friend of his. Damien Anderson, played by Jonathan Majors, who we just saw in Quantumania, the Ant-Man movie. Um, Mm -hmm. And he had just been released out of prison after 20 years. You learn a little bit about their backstory in this situation where it could have been him or it could have been this friend of his and his friend of his ended up taking the fall. And so he has this kind of burden of responsibility to help his friend get back on his feet and give him some work and give him some some recognition. And so he decides to let him train a little bit at the at the in the boxing ring where he informs Adonis that he wants to go for the heavyweight. That he wants he feels like he deserves it, he feels like he's ready even though you know, the only fighting he's been doing is in prison. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, at first he's not super into the idea. But after uh, a title weight fight gets called off due to uh, an incident that injures who would have been going after his heavyweight champ, they decide to give it to Damien as... It's sort of like, uh, well, you're obviously not going to win, but it'll put your name out there and, and you'll begin to give you the steps to create a, a life for yourself as an athlete. Um, mm-hmm. And what we end up learning more and more about Damien throughout the film is that there's sort of these personal vendettas and there's these sort of darker leanings in his fighting style and his intentions injuring greatly uh, the apprentice that Adonis was hoping would win this fight easily and then puts him against his old best friend in the ring for the title. And uh, now there's tensions are raised and there's bad blood and it's, uh, you know, a bit more of a drama kind of going here, personal drama going on here than we typically get in some of these movies. I mean, the the Rocky movies and the, and the uh, Creed movies have done pretty well at creating these types of dilemmas before. Um, but I really liked this version of it. Because it goes back much further than 
just something like, you know, like, oh, he's the son of the guy who killed my father who left me when yeah. I was younger. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, it was... I. It created this... It created an alternate narrative that honestly could exist outside of the Rocky tradition, even though it, it fits a lot of those... Uh, it fits a lot of those those archetypes it uh has a different thematic and dramatic edge to it well the, exactly and i i think what's refreshing about it i've watched all three pretty closely together and this one is it's kind of funny because this is the movie that really truly lets adonis creed become his own man and make his own name because, you know, the first two, he's still overshadowed by his father and the sort of legacy of Rocky. And yeah, I think it's really nice that they came up with this, you know, character in this history before all of that, you know, before this character even knew that he was a Creed. Uh, he, you know, he sort of had this history with this guy and it may, yeah, it makes it feel very personal and just its own thing. It lets it finally be like, yeah, it's still in the tradition of the Rocky movies, but it's truly Creed's own story. Um, also, you know, I think a big reason a lot of this works is uh, Jonathan Majors is just so fucking good. Yeah. He kind of came out of nowhere, it seems like. And now he's, you know, being in all these big movies and it's like, Yes, please. He he just brings a level of commitment and character uh, that, especially something like this, where they are, you know, manufacturing this history between the two, and he just absolutely sells it. And, you know, I mean, and Michael B. Jordan is reliably great as well. Like, you know, the two of them together have a lot of chemistry have a lot of, you know, they they make it work. Yeah, I think, you know, thematically we're de what we're dealing with here is uh Adonis seeing in Damien uh a future he could have had, you know. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Had he had if, continued if, down a bad path and he had been the one to go to jail instead or if, you know, whatever, that there's this this sort of hanging imposter syndrome or guilt or what have you um that he's mm -hmm. never really fully dealt with within himself even um, even within his success and damien coming back into into his life just like brings us out and it causes this internal struggle that makes him a much more interesting character but also jonathan majors is given so much to do I mean, they they both are, yeah. but I think it's a lot easier to be the hero of that story than Jonathan Majors, who who's kind of playing duplicitous, right? Because he, he he comes mm -hmm. across at first like he's like, hey, you know, I you know, I'm not looking for a handout, but I like show me the ropes and like, you know, there's that scene early on when he goes and has dinner with with. Uh, Creed and his wife and he's looking at all the awards and he's looking at all the belts and he's looking at all of the gold records and you without the movie saying it 
They don't have to. Yeah. You you get all the context of how he feels in that situation at that moment, um, or how both of them feel in that in that situation at that moment. Yeah. And that informs all the fights going forward. Yeah, and and let's talk about the fights. Uh, you know, there there I will say there are moments. Uh, there are these little flashes within this movie where it almost starts to feel a tad overdirected. Yeah, but it's it's able. I think I, I don't I don't know if this is. It feels like it's able to pull it back from from going fully sort of cartoon. You know. Um, well, funny you say that cartoon specifically because uh, Michael B. Jordan said in some interview that. His big influence on the fight choreography was like, and then he listed like five or six anime I had never heard of. Uh, yeah. That he's really into. <laughs> yeah, I, I had heard that. And I think it shows, but I, yeah. I, I mean, the thing about anime and manga is everything is is heightened for drama, right? Like, right. so it, it it translates really well to this boxing movie with you know these two characters with this deep personal history uh you know you really feel these these blows yeah there's just a couple moments throughout the movie where i was like this is almost a little too show-offy or you know it calls a little too much attention to the direction occasionally yeah i think i remember like one of the first fights in the film it reminded me a little bit of the fight choreography in Guy Ritchie's uh, Sherlock Holmes, where yeah. where he can sort of guess every move before it happens, and and it you know the the camera pans in on these extreme close ups of, of points of impact, and that that was a little iffy, but again he 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 reels it back when he needs to to the point where he doesn't root. Re- ruin the whole thing there's one big stylistic flourish in the final fight um and i'm sure we're talking about the same thing where mm-hmm. it almost lost me um for that moment where yeah i, like, I, I, I don't want to watch the fight like this i hope they don't do this for the rest of it and they don't so that's good but um but yeah he was that's what i mean he was like- trying some stuff he exactly and but also good for him like yeah. you know you get this chance to to you know direct a huge fucking movie um like go for it a little bit and and i i think again he he pulls it back just enough but yeah there's there's a, a couple little moments where i like okay you're drawing attention to the direction mm-hmm. um and you know i think Personally, I think I preferred, you know, some of the smaller moments. Well, um, yeah, that's where the, the movie, two actors. That's where the movie sells the best. There's two scenes in particular that yeah. I think stand out, and that's the one I already mentioned, where he's at dinner with the family. Um, that's a mm-hmm. perfectly set up scene where there's nothing flashy happening. It's all very traditional coverage. It's doing the drama justice. The other scene that I think works really, really well is at that uh, record release party where Majors is talking to Creed's wife um, privately 
and mm-hmm. you get the first sense that he's not on the level, that he's kind of playing them a little bit. And it's, again, it's really subtle stuff, just like, you know, the way he capturing the performance and the way it's used in the lighting and the way it's used with the, with the, the background music and everything. It's, it tells you the story without over explaining it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this movie, I think, um, this, you know, the story and Michael B. Jordan's direction do a very good job of, you know, the, the classic, uh, show don't tell, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of visual cues. Like we've, we've put it together Mm -hmm. and now we've reached this point of tension where the characters are no longer holding the cards up close to their chest. Um, my only points of contention with the movie, which I think hold it back a little in, in an otherwise great movie is they introduce this moment of tension or this drama with his, with, uh, Creed's mother that I don't know why, <laughs> like <laughs> I, it just, these Creed or all of these Rocky movies, there's, there's sort of a like tragedy quota that they have to fill or something it's like you know she didn't do shit she like she didn't deserve this at all <laughs> and it doesn't yeah, it's like the, do anything for the story yeah yeah i i mean i don't know it's a, i i get what you're saying because it it doesn't but it, it does feel like it is just like that trope that these movies has to have to have. Yeah. And, um, and I'm just saying it doesn't have to have it and it didn't have to have it here because the movie's doing enough already that you didn't need that extra layer. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't work the same way as like the first movie, uh, the first Creed movie with, you know, Rocky fighting cancer alongside, you know, Creed, training for his big fight like there's there's you know a thematic uh work there that isn't here i I get what you're saying i don't know it didn't yeah i think again i think it's because like bother me but i also agree with you like it didn't doesn't really add anything to the actual story that's being told right i think it's just it's honestly it's just there because there's a list of things that are in these movies and they had to hit it um, sure. you know, going all the way back to, you know, the other Rocky movies as well, but even still, um, so I felt that was a little unnecessary and the, just 15 minutes you could have scooped out of the movie and just had a tighter runtime. And then the other thing, which is a little bit more of a problem is after all of this is said and done, it kind of wraps up neatly and tightly in a little bow. Like there's, there's, there's. Nothing has really been resolved other than, you know, things coming to blows, literally. But the movie mm-hmm. just tells us, okay, it's, we're good now. And I don't see why. I think it would have been a more interesting ending. I think it would have been a messier, more emotionally tangled movie if um, nobody was let off the hook. or Or, you know, there was no grand realization uh, or anything. I think it might have, it would have even been more powerful if 
you know, yeah, he, he has to go through all of this and he, it's a fight where nobody wins. Like, even if you win, you don't win. Sure. And I think that's, they almost do that. And then it, it sort of loses its nerve and, and, and creates a sort of Hollywood happy ending that I didn't feel like was really earned, especially given how much we've already gone through with these characters. I don't know where I think you're probably right, but it also the ending that it didn't bother me. Like I, you know, there's a nice little scene between them um, that I don't know. I, it didn't bother me. It it didn't. um, Yeah. I don't disagree with you though. Like I I think, um, you know, it could have, had a little bit more of a, a, a frayed ending and thematically again, it probably would have been a little bit stronger, but um, I don't know. It didn't bother me, you know, the, the, cause the, the thing is, this is still a giant blockbuster boxing movie and it, it kind of, to me, it's already elevated enough that it sure. If they had gone there. Yeah, I would have, I, I would have absolutely loved it, but they didn't necessarily have to. I don't know. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, it's still a crowd-pleasing movie, and it doesn't bother me to have a crowd-pleasing ending every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why it bothers me more, though, is that it's already earned that. You know, we've it, it's the however many movie in a long franchise... And the audience has the goodwill towards all of these characters. So sure. I think this is the point in which you can play with the expectations a little bit more and subvert things a little bit more. I'm not saying it needs to go, you know, full art house or something and and do something totally radical, but... I just felt like a little bit like the movie lose. It just lost its nerve. I did, I didn't feel like it was an honest ending, given what we know about these characters. Um, that's that, I think that's fair. But it, you know, it, again, neither of these things break the movie by any means. It's still very watchable. You know, up there, I would say with the best of them. You know, the, the all of these Creed movies have been really good for the most part. I'd say it probably like this one more than the last one. I like. Yeah, I think this one. Um, I I think Creed two, having just watched them all, I I liked them all. I mm-hmm. thought they were all a lot of fun. Um, it, it was really fun to just sort of watch these movies one after the other. Um, I, I like also as a series. I like how there's like time jumps between each movie. Yeah. Um. And, you know, how they let the character kind of evolve between the scenes. Like, I think as a trilogy, this is, uh, it it stands really well, all three of them together. Um, But yeah, I think the stuff with like Ivan Drago was just a little too mired in this Rocky mythology to really, you know, feel the stakes are as personal as the first one where he's like, you know, trying to make his name. And then this yeah. one where uh, he's sort of reaching into his past. Um, it, it, I think, is the weakest one. 
Um, yeah, which still is to it say also, it, it's perfectly watchable. It's fine. Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, uh, it, it's the most stock. It's probably the most um, feels the most like a retread of all of them. Whereas this one, yeah, um, feels like it's going for something else. There's a little bit of Rocky Four in there, a little bit with the, uh, you know, you with now he's like rich and successful and forgotten his roots a little bit like you know famously rocky ford's the one with the robot because that was the, <laughs> the way to tell the audience he's so rich he has a a robot butler <laughs> yeah which i mean is very silly yeah especially considering i want redemption for the many... robot i want to see the robot in the next creed okay yeah creed four um <laughs> creed versus robot yeah or or at the very least just like one scene with like the daughter playing well i mean here's the thing if this if this franchise keeps going you know i i feel like the next one is gonna be about the daughter like you know i i feel like yeah they should have already hinted at that yeah and I, i i just feel like adonis's story is sure there could be other places they take it but i i feel like as a trilogy i think this it puts a nice little bow on it and, and mm-hmm. you know i if they have more for creed to come uh as long as they're of this quality i will keep showing up um mm-hmm. but i also think it's okay to to kind of move on at this point um yeah so yeah. going back to the sylvester stallone thing um I read that the reason he wasn't in this movie is that he didn't agree with the script and thought that it was too dark. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he said um, something to the effect of like, you know, I want to see, I'm fine with seeing our heroes get punched around, but uh, there's too much darkness in the world right now. I don't, uh, uh, you know, something like that. Like I did can't be a part of this or whatever um which sure. i mean i mean I, I, yeah you, it's a little moodier it's a little bit it's a little bit more of a downer than than the other two well, I mean, but i don't think by that much well and and this is the, you know he did the only rocky where one of the main characters died <laughs> right um, yeah you know what i mean like like i don't know i I don't think it's that much darker. I don't think it's darker than the first one. Like he's battling cancer. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I I can see how maybe on the page it may be read a little darker. Sure. Um, and you know maybe there's some stuff that got cut. Uh, so so we don't know because you know they kind of hint about the uh the they talk about the abuse in the foster home and you know maybe there was more of that in the original draft or or something. But I, I even still, I think it would have been nice to just at least address it, the character somehow. He um, does come up know, in passing just, a couple times, but I mean, not in not in the sense of like why he's not here. Um, they but they mention we'll give Adrian this like Apollo gave Rocky a shot. When he was yeah, around. exactly. Like, and then but, uh, later on, they mentioned something. Um, when there's the rumble in the in the jungle ticket, and there's a there's Easter eggs, but there isn't like, 
hey, where's Rocky? <laughs> That's why I thought he yeah, might have exactly. like died in between movies or something, and I was like missing something. I I think they left it open for uh, him to return, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I yeah, I think just like a little cameo or something would have been nice. But um, but I you know I guess I can also yeah. understand why. Or even you just know, like Stallone-y. Adonis looking down at his phone and he sees a text from Rocky on Fight Night saying "Good luck out there" or something. Yeah, totally, exactly. <laughs> uh, I did feel like again, if I, if we're talking about this as a trilogy, I feel like that is sort of the one. Uh, you, you know, that's kind of the gap tooth of this movie. Um, is it's just it's very strange that. That he's just not in it at all. Yeah. Um, I'm giving this a B plus. I think you should go watch it. You probably have already because it it did very well and it's been out for a while. So um, and I believe in a few weeks it's going to be on demand as well. So if you didn't catch it in theaters, you can watch it at home here pretty soon. Yeah, it'll uh probably be on hbo max soon and then you can marathon all three of them mm-hmm. um yeah i i think i give this i'm i'm kind of in the same i'm kind of floating around in an a minus or a b plus so um since i'm notoriously more positive than you i'll give this the a minus <laughs> yeah i i like this movie a lot i like this franchise a lot this makes me want to i Never seen the Rocky movies, so this makes me want to go back and watch them all. Yeah, that Um, is the elephant in the room here, is that prior to you watching all the Creed movies, you had never seen a Rocky film, which is hard to believe. Yeah, I never have. I'm I'm familiar with a lot of the cultural touchstones, Mm -hmm. just because, you know, it's such a massive franchise that, you know, it's been parodied to death, and... I feel like if you're in tune with pop culture at all, you kind of just know stuff from the Rocky movies. Um, but I've never actually just like sat down and, and watched them. But uh, after this, after the Creed movies, I definitely want to. So, yeah, I think they're all available to watch on something or another. So, yeah, if you if you've never watched them, I they're one of it's one of the stronger franchises. They peter off a little bit towards the end um rocky five is pretty unremarkable in pretty much every way i don't remember much about any of that movie all right well let's go ahead and talk about the streaming homework which is roadhouse i will let you describe this one roadhouse is about uh this (laughs) traveling uh i believe the term they use is cooler like the head of all of the bouncers in a bar the head of security and he's recruited by this guy tillman played by kevin tyhe just invested in a bar but it's really rough and tumble um so he needs some you know a pro to come in and lead his his security team of bouncers to clean the bar up And in doing so, he learns that it's not just the bar in this town that's corrupt. Uh, It's the town itself, which was built by this, you know, millionaire asshole. You know, this like 80s yuppie 
mogul. But also is kind of a tough guy. I don't know. Uh, we'll we'll get to the, the villain in this. But he's, you know, like invested all this money into the entire town. And because of that, he controls it all. He uses these sort of mafia tactics. You know, if you don't pay certain amounts, then we'll break up your store. And then, yeah, and he doesn't like Dalton for reasons um, and decides that he's going to become his nemesis and do everything he can to, you know, to just maintain control over this small town. Dalton realizes that there's more going on here. And so, you know, he feels this sort of obligation to not just clean up this one bar, but to pry this, this millionaire's fingers off of every aspect of the town. And, uh, you know, in there, he also uh, falls in love with the small town doctor. And uh, we also see his his mentor, his bouncer mentor, uh, played by a young Sam Elliott, uh, who rolls into town at a certain point to, to help him out. So this came out in 1989, but... Had you had asked me upon watching it, I would have guessed like 84. Yeah, I actually, this is the, I didn't know it was 89 until you just said that. And I was like, oh, wow. I feel like this is. Because this movie is. feels more like an 80s sort of staple to me than. And it kind of has all all of those like 80s cliches. Those trappings. Uh, Yeah. And I mean, the movie's outrageously 80s. Oh my god. In the fun ways. Like Yes. I so did not this movie was so not what I expected it to be. It was it, it was for a while until it wasn't. Like it was cuz the movie, I don't know if you had the same experience with it, but the movie kind of sneaks up on you in a way like because it feels very kind of classic American rugged individualist hero archetype of this era a lot of this kind of feels like footloose for the r-rated set sure yeah kind of the same type of story um well but it's also like it's a lot more r-rated than i expected it to be i thought and and there are some 80s movies that are kind of a blind spot for me. I'm not familiar with a lot of uh, Patrick Swayze stuff. So maybe in my head, I kind of was always confusing this with Dirty Dancing. I don't know. Um, but it's way more of an action movie than I expected it to be. Like, yeah. I thought, you know, I thought there would be some scenes where he's like taking out some rough customers. But I didn't know it would like sort of devolve into this full blown action spectacle right yeah that's that's what i meant by it it kind of sneaks up on you because the first half of it or so it felt it felt pretty much what i was expecting it to be he was going to move into this town he's going to take over this bar he's going to fire the people who need to be fired and he's gonna uh set this all up and he has you know yeah there's this millionaire mogul played by ben gazzara who has to be, you know, sort of put in his place or whatever. And the the hottie nurse played by Jennifer or, or Kelly Lynch. Um, 
Hottie doctor, excuse me, she didn't go <laughs> to eight years of medical school to be called Hottie nurse. Yes, you're you're correct. Um, and yeah, that all was kind of going as I saw planned. And then you, you get hints of it earlier on, but it by it almost kind of feels like at some point somebody told them, you know, saw the dailies and said, yawn. Where's the explosions? Oh my god, right? It is it is crazy. Like it really escalates. Batshit insane <laughs> by about the middle of it where you have these high-speed car chases, you have people tearing tracheas out of other people's throats. You have like you have Patrick Swayze glistening in the sun doing tai chi. <laughs> Let let's take a moment to uh dissect this this throat tearing. Yeah. I think I knew about that as a reference again kind of like but not necessarily from this movie. And so they mention it and he, they mention it early on how at one time before he tore a guy's throat out and I was like, "Ah, oh, come on." Like how do you it's sort of Chekhov's throat tear right <laughs> how do you set like introduce that element and not show him tearing out a guy's throat and then he does yeah i kind of feel like the character of brock from uh the venture, the venture brothers. brothers yeah the character of brock from venture brothers is like one part race bannon and three parts this character yeah yeah i mean he's got the mullet he's got the tai chi like totally yeah uh <laughs> and yeah i mean he he, he has this shady pass that we, we're not supposed to know about and you know did he commit this murder or whatever and yeah anything that's even barely below the surface is uh you know allowed to just come out full flame by the middle act of the movie and everything is there's you know no subtlety after that point like the movie um this is 80s camp this is 80s cheese to the max like this this is pretty close to being something like the Miami connection but with <laughs> a big budget and a star-studded cast Absolutely. And I, I I kind of loved it for all of those things. Like yeah. I think I think yeah, it could it probably could have been a better movie, but I don't know. I think that that what makes this movie so fun is that all all of this stuff is there and it just slowly boils over into just this pure excess craziness. Like this yeah. movie's crazy. Yeah, people being attacked with taxidermy. <laughs> I also think that the the villain is hilarious because he's so not threatening in kind of any way, but he's like supposed to be this sort of evil overlord, right? Uh, now he does have goons. Yeah, he, he. That's why I even thought of that segment. Is he's got some good goons. Mm -hmm. uh, he's got you know that the heavy set funny goon he's got the 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 lead goon though 
and we get a, a such a one-on-one goon fight. It, it's it's like you said, it's high camp. I don't know if I'd call it high camp. I think this is exactly the classic definition of camp in the sense of, um, well, I don't know. How much self-awareness do you think this movie has? I'm not sure. Because I see that's the thing. We've seen so many movies that are doing this. Ironically. Especially lately. Yeah. Like, what was that one? What was that one series that was on um, Netflix that was like kind of going for this sort of vibe? I don't know. Um, I remember I used to go to this arcade in Orange County where they would just project it on the wall. Um, Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, yeah, you have all sorts of this, this 80s nostalgia stuff that plays this stuff for camp. Where everybody involved is a comedian, like again, or like the movie MacGruber, which I think took a lot of its ideas from from this movie. Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. I I think, but I'm not so sure that this movie is doing it ironically. I think no, I I I don't think it is. I think it is. I think because it plays it 100 percent straight. It is just like, yeah, logically, yeah. you know, he would burn down the general store, and then he's gonna. Uh, you, you know, like there's going to be explosions. There's going to be gunfire. <laughs> that yeah. was another thing. He's going to send, he's funny. gonna send a monster truck to, to crush <laughs> a small business owners. At the beginning uh, of the movie, lot. I, I was like, <laughs> what would he do if somebody pulled a gun on him? And then the inn is so chock-a-block full of guns. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, it almost kind of feels like, like at first it was trying to be something more like cocktail or something. Yeah. And then maybe everybody who was working on the movie went and saw Die Hard and they were like, no, never mind. Let's do that. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Even like, though we already have half a movie made, exactly. we're going to <laughs> like tonally shift everything more into the into that direction. It, yeah, exactly. It really feels that way. Like, uh, or they just thought, it, you know, it wouldn't be a hit. Or they they wanted to make the, the, the dude's version of Cocktail. Or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it's very funny. It, it, but I also think, like, it, it's not, it's campy and cheesy, but it's not like, let's laugh at how bad this movie is. Like it, it takes itself seriously enough. And that I was just having fun with it. Like I was along for the ride. Oh yeah. I mean, I think it's, I don't know. I, I think you have to have a certain kind of proclivity to view this movie and give it the generosity to not laugh at it. Sure. Like but- I think you have to, you have to sort of be able to to turn that those exploitation blinders on and just like, okay, we're going to accept anything in this movie at face value enough to just enjoy it as a story. Uh, yeah, um, absolutely. You have to have the ability to do that. Like if you don't, if you don't have if if something that is, you know, stupid is going to break break it for you. There's plenty in this movie that is 
ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. I can definitely see somebody saying this movie is just bad. And I can also see somebody saying this movie's so bad it's good. And I don't think either of those are wrong. And I think you can also say this movie is a blast and quality cheese. And I think that that is a perfectly valid response to it as well. It it gives what you're willing to put into it. Uh, yeah, I agree. I I think <laughs> I think it might even just be a generational thing. Like I don't know if a, a young, you know, like I think maybe we're a little more um forgiving and warm to it because you know, we sort of grew up with this generation of these type of movies and now right. it's it has become so ironic. It has become so you know, like just that style has become so stylized, uh, mm-hmm. just as that thing solely without any of the 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 backing behind it, without any of the you know those other elements that I I think this one might be harder for a younger generation to watch and and not. I mean, I don't sort pre- of roll their presume eyes. Presume to know. I don't presume to know what younger generations will or will not respond to, but I, I almost kind of feel they would like it, but I don't, I think they would watch this and think that it's satire. Maybe. I don't know. Because I don't know. Because it's so batshit yeah. that if it's not satire, you would think who, what insane mind put this out sincerely. Yeah. But I, 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 I think, it is a weird thing of the of the times, and I think there might have been a period of let's say ninety four to two thousand four or two thousand six or so. Let's somewhere in that like ten year range where somebody would who hadn't seen it before or wasn't there when it originally came out or whatever would have just said this is just bad this that, is not even funny that's like, what are you showing me yeah but now i feel like it's come around because all of those tropes have been used ironically and in movies sort of been like stripped for parts mm-hmm. all over the spectrum of pop culture that people would immediately get it like every single one of like every single scene in this movie could be its own tiktok short uh, absolutely it's yeah yeah uh but i had a lot of fun with this movie i think it's mm-hmm. it's just so entertaining as well like not only does it do all of this stuff uh but you know it's it's pretty watchable it's where you know like some yeah. stuff from that era. It goes down easy. Yeah, is is campy but you know, harder to watch like, you know, uh for whatever reason, but but yeah, this is it's pretty entertaining. Yeah. Um I was one of the goon, was he a goon specifically? Well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the original bartender when he moves into the, no, he's totally to the new goon. town. Yeah, he's absolutely a goon. You would consider him a goon? Okay. Yeah, he, I mean, he ends up showing up later on and is, like, taking out their liquor shipments and, and like, he gets in a fight. Yeah. Like, he's he's actively gooning. Yeah, he's a big shit kicker mustache and 
he gets fired early on for skimming off the top um, at the bar. Um, it was driving me crazy. I'm like, who is this? I know who this is. And I was like trying to place him in other movies or whatever. Uh-huh. And he like kind of looks like uh, uh, Bill Paxton, but not. No, he's <laughs> like he's the not movie star version of him. Kind of uglier. No offense. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, I just like pulled it out and looked it up. And the reason I recognized who it was, it's John Doe, the uh, guitarist slash lead singer of the L.A. band X. Oh, really? Who? Yeah, yeah who I didn't. I think I knew he did. He did. He had done some movies, but um, his context in this movie like totally threw me off because I think of him as being like this L.A. thing, and in this movie, he definitely is not. No, no, he's he's a <laughs> small town corrupt bartender shit kicker. Yeah, not like this cool. Punk rocker guy. <laughs> um, all right, yeah. So that's Roadhouse. Uh, again, you probably have seen it, but because I think we might be the last two people our age who haven't. Yeah, probably. But um, if you haven't before, or you were always sitting on the fence with it, give it a go because it's fun. Yeah. The, I, I, this is a movie for dudes who like movies too. So, like, you know, mm-hmm. invite your guy buds over. Grab some brews, grab some hot wings, make it a night, <laughs> make it a, make it a mandate. Yeah. Th- this is a dude's rock kind of movie. Although to be gender inclusive, I think anybody could have fun. with. Oh this movie. yeah. Look, here's the thing. Chicks can be dudes. It's fine. Yeah. You all, like I said, you get, uh, Patrick Swayze at his most like svelte and, Glistening, <laughs> he glistens, and a lot. also Sam Elliott when he was quite a treat. Yeah, I was like, "Damn, Sam!" He had some <laughs> locks. Oh, also weird, weird. Uh, uh, Big Lebowski connection. We get both Sam Elliott and Ben Gazzara, who were also in Big Lebowski. Huh. Ben Gazzara plays uh, Jackie Treehorn, the porn producer. <laughs> <laughs> from Malibu. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's fun. I do think it's hilarious that he was like sort of the main boss because they even like yeah. make re- it feels like it was written for a different actor cuz they made these references about like how tough he was and and how, you know, mm. like back in the day he would kick people's asses and and like he would beat people up, but it was just like a, I have money so you'll sit there and take it kind of thing. I don't know. It, it, I found him. To I think be it's like, more of his movie legacy. If it, if that if that was the reason he was cast is because if you look at like his his the roles he used to play, he used to kind of play tough guys or or thugs and stuff. Okay. Like I'm thinking of his character in Anatomy of a Murder, where he plays like a an abusive um, philanderer. Uh, who's on trial? Okay, I I mean I thought he was great. I just was like, like it, I yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was like if this came down to a fight between you know one on one between Patrick Swayze and Bingazar, like what do we think's gonna happen here? But clearly, yeah, I mean he's totally protected by 
by his his goons and his well yeah and and i do think they set up the uh the final showdown in a, a ridiculous enough fashion that i was like all right i can buy this more shrewd than tough yeah um all right for the next episode i'm going to have us watch uh as our streaming homework the beatles uh feature a hard day's night from 1964 and we'll be watching on hbo max if you want to watch along and add your commentary um and if anybody has anything to say about any of the topics we talked about on this episode or previous you can email us at mcguffinpod at gmail.com you can also contact us at our uh social media over at mcguffinpod on twitter and instagram Please leave us a five-star rating and a one-sentence review over iTunes or Spotify or Google Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use to listen to us on. If there is a ratings uh, section of that particular site, please do so. It helps people notice us. And if you want to read my reviews that I do weekly for the Idaho State Journal, you can do so by Googling Idaho State Journal Movie Reviews or Idaho State Journal Arts and Entertainment, and that'll pull up the archives. Uh, and you can follow me uh, at VC Cassidy over on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and I think that's all I have on my end. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Keith Foster Kid, and uh, also check out my improv show at Improv vs. Stand Up. You can follow th- uh, them on Instagram as well at Improv vs. Stand Up um, for show updates. Yeah, it's at Mockingbird Theater here in San Diego, uh, Saturday nights at 9. Okay, and that is the episode. I want you to be nice until it's time. To not be nice. Bye.